right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Interestingly enough, the title of the message today is, I Shall Not Be Moved. I don't know where I got that from, but it sounded kind of familiar to me, so let's do it that way. Last week we began a series called Be Prepared from Ephesians chapter 6. And I said that every child of God is at war and that every Christian is in God's army. Amen. And in that army, nobody, there are no deferments. You can't get out for time served. You can't be exempt. No early outs. None of those things that we have in, in the uh, military. And we are going to be at war with Satan and his army until the Lord calls us home, either by the undertaker or the uppertaker. We're going to be in a battle. So we need to listen Amen. to what God has to say through the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians chapter 6. Because Satan is intent on our destruction. He hates God. And by the way, he hates us too. He really Amen. does. Number one, he wants to devour our families. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan's after us, folks. He wants to destroy our testimonies. <coughs> Paul told the church in Corinth, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds will be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Not only that, he wants to devastate our church. Now we're hitting home, aren't we? Amen. He's getting to our church. Paul said, for I know this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, And also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Not only that, he wants to discredit God. He really does. You remember all the way back in Genesis. Didn't he say, yea, hath God said? He didn't really say that, did he? You know, that's the way he, he went. And Satan does all of this through church conflict. He does it through burnout. I just read a statistic that 40% of pastors in America only last five years. Wow! Five years. Just so you know, uh, we're coming up on my fifth year, so just don't worry about that one. All right? Nah, we don't want to worry about that one. All right. But he also does it through rumors. He can get people busy enough that they forget about the Lord. He does it through lies. He does it through marriage and family disruptions. Satan can do it any way he likes. He loves to destroy relationships. He wants to cause families to fight in church and fight with the church. I've been a part of that. I know that you have too. Yep. Satan knows if he can destroy the home, he has a better chance of destroying the church. And for that reason, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says the following, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Put on, the, therefore, the whole armor, the full armor of God, so that when that day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, stand. 
Amen. It's interesting. Verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God. Verse 13, he says, put on the full armor of God. Oh, hello? We got somebody talking. Uh, I'll wait. Okay, that's all right. So, let me, refer, let, me, let me back up. Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God. Verse 13, put on the full armor of God. Folks, the armor doesn't do any good unless you put it on. Amen. You can have all the best armor in the world, but if you don't put it on, it doesn't work. That's why in verse 14 he says, Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. See, in Paul's time, before battle began, a soldier would gather his tunic around his body. And he would put it all up and he would take a belt. He would belt it up so that he wouldn't be encumbered when he was fighting. Now, as I look around today, I don't think anybody's wearing a tunic, are they? No, no, I don't think so. But we are to be buckled up. We really are. Amen. Because our preparation is not physical. It's mental. It's spiritual. Peter said, therefore, gird up your minds for ready for action. Be sober. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus. So we're supposed to be ready. And the belt that we wear in our spiritual battles is not a belt of leather. It is the belt of truth. Now that word truth talks about the content of what is true. The entirety of what it is. It is truth of God's word that will hold everything together in our lives. Folks, if we don't have the truth, we've got nothing. If we want to win the battle, we have to know the truth, we have to live the truth, we've got to believe the truth, we have to tell the truth, and folks, we have to stand for the truth. Amen. When we hear something that's not true, we need to take it upon ourselves in love, and I always use that phrase because we need to understand that, in love, we're to let people know what the truth is. Amen. We've got to stand. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God's word is truth. And without a working knowledge of the truth of the scripture, the child of God is easy prey. And I mean easy prey for the enemy. Paul told us when we know the truth, in Ephesians a little bit earlier in chapter 4, he said we won't be tossed and blown about with every wind of new teaching or doctrine. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Boy, we got a lot of that today. Just enough off. Just enough off. Folks, if it's just a little off, it's all the way off. Amen. You know, it's like a pane of glass. You got a little tiny crack down the bottom. You know what? The glass is broken. Not just a little crack, the glass is broken. That's why the Lord gave us His Word. That's why He gave us preachers and teachers to explain the truth to us. Paul said again in Ephesians 4, So Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, all to equip His people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Amen. He wants us to know His truth so we can stand in the evil day because folks without the truth we have no foundation 
And we are very easily led astray. That's why you see all these cults, because there is not a foundation in their lives, and they're drawn away. And the only way to combat error is with the truth. Amen. See, the devil's desire is to defeat us, to destroy us, to distract us, and he does it by peddling lies. He wants us to ignore the truth. He wants to water down the truth and make God's word irrelevant in our lives. Boy, do we see that so much today. Folks, the Bible is truth. It's reliable. It's accurate. It's infallible. Forty different authors contributed to the Bible, written over a period of 1,500 years. The authors were kings and fishermen and priests, government officials, farmers, shepherds, doctors. And from all this diversity comes an incredible unity with a common theme. The Bible's unity is due to the fact that ultimately it only has one author, Amen. Almighty God. Paul told the, uh, Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. God breathes it out. And the human authors wrote exactly what God wanted them to write. Amen. And the result was the perfect, holy word of God. Did I leave any ambiguity in what I think about the scripture? I don't think so. Peter said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For the prophecy never had its origin in human will. But prophets though they were human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how we got the Scripture, folks. So if you want to hear somebody say, oh, that's just a bunch of guys don't know what they're doing. No, that's the Holy Spirit empowering these men to write the Word of God. And this is the exciting stuff. I'm starting to get to the exciting stuff now, folks. Amen. <laughs> this is, it teaches us all we need to know about life and about death, heaven, Hell, God, Satan, sin, salvation, it teaches us all about those things. It reveals our condition before God. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God. Folks, there's not one person who has ever been born except for the Lord Jesus, who has never sinned. All of us are sinners. Amen. But it reveals the, situ the uh, solution to the problem. The most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. And then it gives us the way of salvation. Not only does it tell us about salvation, it gives us the way to go. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And it also reveals our the final destiny not only of Satan, because we know where he's going. He's going to the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. But it also gives the final destiny for the children of God. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare your house, and I'm coming back to get you. Woo! Amen. Lordy mercy. I'm loving that. Amen. The Bible is to be believed. It's to be obeyed. It's to be loved. And we need to let it shape our lives. We need to let it feed our souls and guide our steps. 
There's far too many Christians today have allowed the cares of this world to overcome their lives. Their habits, interests, prevent them from faithfully serving the Lord the way God wants us to serve Him. I'm going to say this twice because it's very important. Half-hearted commitment is not true commitment. Amen. Half-hearted commitment is not true commitment. That's not the way believers are to live their lives. Paul said no one serves as a soldier and gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Who's our commanding officer? Jesus. Jesus, of course it is. So, those who are buckled with truth are those who are committed believers. And Satan can't easily trap those who have the truth. So we're buckled with truth. When we do that, we've taken that first essential step to put on the whole armor of God. Now let's look at that second piece in verse 14. It talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Now that, back in the, Paul's back in the day, <laughs> I love that phrase. Uh, what, the breastplate was a sleeveless piece of armor that covered the full torso. And it made sure that uh, no, Romans, uh, no Roman soldier would go to battle without it because it covered the whole front. Now, in the same way, without the breastplate of righteousness, our faith would be like any other religion. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it. If we didn't have righteousness, Paul said, turn away from that kind of stuff. Get away from it. You see, with our armor on, we have the power every day to say no to the things that are wrong, and yes to the things that are right. We can say no to what is evil, and yes to what is good. And when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we're winning our spiritual war. Now let me clarify. The, breast of righteous, the breastplate of righteousness is not imputed righteousness. And that word imputed means credited to. We're given that the day we are saved. The moment that we are saved, we have the righteousness. Paul said, for God made Jesus, who knew no sin, sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So that's, that gives it. We're brought into a right relationship with God. So whoever trusts in Christ has the breastplate or has been clothed with righteousness. We don't put it on. It's already ours. Hallelujah for that. You see, the physical breastplate covered two vital areas. The heart and the bowels. Yeah? That's a good place to cover, right? Amen. Now, to the Jew, that had a great deal of significance because thinking was associated with the heart. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Whew. The Lord himself said, Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. And the bowels are the feelings, our emotions. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, For God is my record, how greatly I longed after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. He said to the Colossian church, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. The believer has got to be protected, because that's where Satan makes his attacks. He feeds our thinking. 
with false information. He wants to cloud our minds with false doctrine, with lies, with religious untruth. Anything that he can, he'll try. He wants to stop us from living for God. He wants to lure us with envy and hatred and greed and all kinds of evil vice. He wants us to rationalize our sin. Not seek the Lord for forgiveness. So the breastplate of righteousness offers protection against the attacks from Satan. So it's the breastplate of righteousness is not imputed righteousness. That's, that righteousness is given to us at salvation. It's also not self-righteousness. You all know about self-righteousness, don't you? Have you ever met a self-righteous person? Oh my goodness. Let me give you the definition. Someone who is smugly moralistic and intolerant of the opinions and behavior of others. That's a self-righteous person. Amen. It's the idea that we somehow can generate within ourselves a righteousness that's going to be acceptable to God. Ooh. Yeah. The self-righteous person believes that their character and behavior earns them favor with the Lord. You know, they're, they're God's best, you know. Who, who's the best? I, I'm the best. They're better than others because they have standards of living that appear to be better than the rest of this world. So that makes them better. They believe that if they can stop enough sin, if they can avoid enough evil or do enough good, God will be pleased with them and reward them accordingly. Well, listen to what Jesus said about the self-righteous. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 20, he said, For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the scribes were those who preserved the law and encouraged others to keep the law. The Pharisees were someone who kept a strict observance of oral traditions. And Jesus said, you have to be better, you have to be better than all of these if you want to get to heaven. You must have more than a strict observance to oral law and written law, to traditions, to religious ceremonies, to practice. You've got to have all of that stuff. Folks, who can be better than that? Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, if we could be saved by keeping laws, then there was no need for Christ to die. Wow. You see, the self-righteous provides Satan with a powerful weapon he can use to strangle the life out of the service of our believers. They lose the joy of the Lord. They have no real peace because they can never do enough or be enough to serve the Lord with joy. That's what it's all about, folks. We need to have the joy of the Lord. They know little of love or forgiveness or grace. The self-righteous person can't really grasp truth. They can't grasp the truth in Isaiah 64 that says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before the Lord. So the breastplate is not imputed. It is not self-righteous. Well, then what is it? All right. It is practical righteousness or imparted. See, when, we're, when we were saved, we became righteous. So in God's sight, every person who's trusted the Lord is righteous. And as a Christian, we're to practice righteousness. 
The Holy Spirit works in us to empower us to live our lives for the glory of the Lord. Listen to what Paul told the church in Philippi. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. God works it in, we work it out. Amen. And the two areas that Satan most frequently attacks Christians are the mind and the emotions. He's got, he just is after us like that. And, and these are the areas that are covered by the breastplate of righteousness. Now you know Satan's already blinded this world. He already has. 2 Corinthians uh, 2.4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And he will use the world to tempt us to think wrong thoughts and to follow wrong emotions. Satan tries to get us to concentrate on all of these other periphery ideas rather than the word of truth. And I'm so thankful for Isaiah 55.11. God said, So also is my word. I send it out. It will always produce fruit. It will accomplish all that I want it to and will prosper everywhere I send it. Amen. I read articles after article. In the conflict in Ukraine, how the underground church now had to go back underground, but it is flourishing. In China, the church is flourishing. See, so that is exciting stuff. Satan won't have an opportunity to attack us successfully if we have our armor on. Paul told the church at Ephesus, don't give place to the devil. Don't do it. We're to put on the righteous works of God. And when we live in obedience to the Lord, and in obedience to His Word, He's the one that is glorified, not us. We don't take the spotlight. It's to the Lord. But a believer who takes sin lightly and plays around with the edges of evil will find that nothing is going to be able to stop Satan from getting into their lives. Not having on the breastplate of righteousness will rob you of your spiritual joy. Because when Satan finds a chink in our armor, he exploits it to the fullest. He does everything he can when he finds an avenue to get in. And that's when we lose our joy and our peace and our sense of spiritual well-being. Remember when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he killed Uriah, and then he covered it up with lies. Some say David committed all ten of the ten, broke all ten of the commandments in that little episode. I, I think he did too. But you know what he said in Psalm fifty-one, twelve: "Restore to me the joy of your salvation." David realized how horrible he had been. But you know what? Even with all of that. The Bible tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. You know why? Because he was one of his children. That's why. Amen. Now, folks, you know in the, in the physical realm, children are children. And we can only do so much with our children. You can raise them up right. You can take them to Sunday school and church every Sunday. Bring them Wednesday night. Go out on visitation with them on Thursdays. Did you notice what I just said? Come on. 
visitation Amen. on Thursdays, you know, that kind of thing. You can do all of those things. You can go to church, not send them to church. You can go to church with them. You can sit with them and hold hands with them and love on them and preach to them. And you know what? When they get up and get out, they're on their own at that point. You've done all you can do. They're in the hands of Almighty God and the Holy Spirit is going to do in their lives. And they have to do that. So we need to understand that. We're supposed to be the kind of person that has the breastplate of righteousness on. And when we do, others are going to see that in our lives. So we're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Because if not, we don't have any protection whatsoever from the wiles of the devil, the tricks, the schemes. Folks, as Christians, we have been given victory. We have been given guidance from the Holy Spirit. We have been given our armor, and we've seen the first two, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. And God wants us to live holy lives. And not living in sin and compromising our faith is going to destroy us. So I guess the question is this. Do you have your armor on? Are you living for God's glory? Folks, we need to be prepared because we're in the battle for our destiny. Amen? Amen.